Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Good morning. Today is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it. It is Monday, October the 14th, 2019. Uh, Some of you have the day off. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice three-day weekend? Um, Some of us do not have the day off, but we're thrilled to be together. And I want to share this reminder with you right here at the top of the first hour today because a listener kind of called me out on Friday morning. Um, He heard the news on the program, but he wasn't sure that he ever heard me sort of bring the good news to bear on the news that we were talking about uh, on Friday, at least at some points. And so I appreciate the reminder of what I am supposed to be doing on the air every day, and I thought it might be helpful at the outset of today's program to simply say um, what we're doing here. We want to be good news obsessed. We are seeking to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day in order that each and every one of us as ambassadors of the king and the kingdom, big K, can, you know, can walk our faith out into the world that God so loves in ways that honor Jesus. That, that's what I'm seeking to do every single day. And maybe some days uh, we do that more effectively than other days. And so as we survey the headline news of the day, uh, let let me tell you what I am always mindful of. First of all, I always have in mind that we are praying the news. There are many things that are happening in the world, maybe even in our own communities, sometimes in our own households, um, where we just really feel unable to do anything but pray. Like it's a it's a situation that needs God's dramatic intervention. It's way beyond our capacity as a human being to handle. And so, um, you know, first we pray the news. We read, uh, listen, interpret, and respond to the headlines of the day through a distinctively gospel lens that recognizes that God is, and God has spoken, and God is working out uh, his redemptive plan in the context of human history. So as we read and listen um, to the news, as we engage the news, um, we have to recognize that this is not the way it's supposed to be. I mean, there's a reason that the that the positive good news stories get us so excited. And it's because they're so unusual, all right? So we recognize that this is not the way that it's supposed to be. We recognize that there were good old days, and they were way back uh, before the fall of human uh, of humanity. There were good old days, but they were all the way back in the first chapter of Genesis. Um, and then you know, it's there've been you know, days that are corrupted. Days that are fallen, days that are broken, what I call the meantime. Like, we live in the meantime. And so it's not the way it's supposed to be. As you look around, as you feel chronic pain, as you experience uh, disappointment and depression, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And, and, and this is not the way it's going to be forever. Um, Jesus Christ is coming. There is a, there, there is not just the hope of salvation, there's actually the hope of real redemption in the context of human history uh, when the new heaven comes upon the new earth and Christ reigns. Like, that's coming. 
But right now, right now, we don't live in the day uh, yet. I mean, there's this promise, right, in Philippians where, you know, God comes right out and says, look, the, the day's coming. Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That day is coming. It's, today's not that day. Today's the day in between uh, walking in, in the cool of the afternoon in the garden with the Lord as friends and uh, the new heaven and the new earth day when we when we walk with him as friends again. We live in between those two. We live in the broken, hurting, dying, desperation, mean times. And the mean times are mean. I mean, we call them mean for a reason, not just because they're in the middle. They're mean um, because this is the time between the fall in Genesis 3 and the consummation of all things. I would point to Revelation 21. In the meantime, is the time of wars and rumors of wars and famine and disease and disaster and an ever-increasing evil in the hearts of men. And if you read the news, then you know we live in the meantimes. But as Christians living in the meantimes, we remember who we are, whose we are, and what in the world we're in the world to do. Those who are given over to Jesus Christ know who we are. We know who we are. We know we're Christ's people. We know we're not only saved um, from, we're saved for. We know we belong to, to Christ in this life and in the life to come. And we know we are in the world on purpose and for a purpose. And that is to declare the good news of the gospel, that light has come, that salvation is possible, um, that redemption is here. And so we, we become good news obsessed, not news obsessed, good news obsessed. And we consider our calling as Christians, bringing the mind of Christ to bear on everything. Yes, including the news of the day. So that's what we're here to do. Uh, we're going to do that right now with Nick Pitts. He is waiting in the wings. We'll be right back. Joining me now is Nick Pitts from Global Engagement, and we are uh, talking about the headline news of the day. Hey, Nick, welcome back. Hey, Carmen, great to be with you. How are you this morning? Well, I'm well. I'm well. I have uh, I have read the briefing at thebriefing.net, and uh, I am ready to talk with you through the headlines of the day and help people see them from a Christian worldview. Um, the lead the lead piece you have there, we actually heard uh, referred to in in the headlines at the top of the hour. Um, and this is, this is, I mean, let me just go ahead and say, this is more than just a tragic story. Um, this is, uh, this is really important for us to talk about culturally because this would not have happened if it had been me at my house and my neighborhood cops. Yeah. Uh, yeah, tragically alluding to the story of Miss Jefferson, uh, was just in her house. Now, just taking the context of consideration, this happens in Fort Worth, which is around 45 minutes to the west of Dallas, and I'm sure your listeners are aware that Dallas over the past couple of weeks has just been going through a pretty tragic uh, reminder of the brokenness of this world relative to race relations with the Botham John uh, case. Um, And coming two weeks after this, you have a woman that is just playing video games with her nephew, and uh, police are responding to a call on a non-emergency line at around 2 o'clock in the morning, indicating that the front door or a, a door has been open for a little bit. And police um, uh, see her through a window and um, very quickly, if you've seen the body footage, pulls the trigger once and that uh, that bullet ends up killing her. And it's just a, a absolute gut-wrenching tragic for those tragedy 
and especially uh, so in light of the context of what's happened here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area over the past couple of weeks. So let's um, let's bring the gospel to bear on this, um, yeah. because I think that uh, that's the challenge for each and every one of us. Where do we enter? Where do we press into this conversation? Is this a conversation Christians have about um, the role of government and law enforcement? Is it a conversation that we have about race in America? Is it a conversation we have about, uh, I mean, you know, some people are going to want to have a conversation about parenting. Why is anybody up at two in the morning playing video games with an eight-year-old? Like, right? I mean, yeah. I know, I know where this conversation is going to go, and I would rather us help people know where to take it. Yeah. I, uh, this is where I think it's going to be really hard, Carmen, just because we, as Christians, we live in, we live in this tension, the, the now and the not yet. There's a, mm-hmm. a cultural a cultural dichotomy right now uh, that says that you either have to support the police uh, at all ends or you have to uh, disregard the police and support the victims at all ends. And I think here's in the moment, a bad apple doesn't characterize the entire bu- bushel. We need to live in the tension of knowing that, yes, there, this was a fatal error by an officer and demands justice, but also illuminates a very troubling trend. But to recognize the truth that police officers are never called to celebrations in our communities. They're always called the breakdowns. And more often than not, they're the ones that are restoring the peace. And we're reminded in First, or First Peter 2, we're reminded in Romans 13, we're reminded to give honor where honor is due, to respect the authority. Now, I have police officer friends, and they're as good as gold. They're the individuals that I would want in my court, and I'm so grateful for them. But I also recognize the truth that, according to a USA Today study, over 85,000 officers have been investigated for misconduct over the past decade, 22,000 investigations of officers using excessive force, 2,000 instances of perjury. Trust is significant when it comes to our police force, not only to help enforce the law, but also to keep the peace. And what we're seeing here is very problematic, troublesome trend relative to the policing of African-American and minority communities that needs to be addressed. But at the same time, as gospel people, we live in the tension of mourning the loss that's happened, but also supporting the officers, recognizing that one bad apple doesn't characterize the entire bushel. That's exactly right. All right. Nick Pitts and I are going to take a quick break. You can find him every single day at thebriefing.net. When we come back, we're going to talk about what's going on in northeastern Syria. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Nick Pitts, you can find him at the Institute for Global Engagement. You can find him on Twitter at jnickpitts, or you can find him at thebriefing.net. All right, the second story you've got up today on The Briefing um, is a story that folks are going to hear reported via every news outlet in a variety of ways, and it is what is now open warfare in northeastern Syria, where we have uh, the Turkish, at least 15,000 Turkish troops that have um, that are beginning. Uh, now they've been on the move since Wednesday um, basically invading Syria, and we have the Kurds and uh, and other groups, which include journalists and Americans and uh, and Christians, uh, Christian minorities in the region, Yazidis. Uh, now, in between, what is a Syrian army moving north and a Turkish army moving south? Um, 
you know, what, what tack do you want to take on this, Nick? Oh, my goodness. It, uh, the situation is, one, heartbreaking, but also, two, uh, just very complex. And so let's just uh, – just the latest, which is just broke, like, literally over the past hour, we find out that Kurdish forces now have uh, – came to an agreement with Bashar al-Assad, who is the Syrian tyrant dictator uh, that has gassed his people in an effort to be able to find some semblance of peace right now and some safety uh, since American forces have backed out of the area. They're now siding with Assad, who Assad is also very close to someone that we're all very familiar with, uh, Vladimir Putin, who is the, the Russian leader. Uh, so uh, the, the Kurds have now sided with Assad to try to keep safe and keep the peace in the area as Turkish forces continue to raid their area. Because at the end of the day, uh, for the Turkish president, uh, President Erdogan, he operates out of a mentality that wants safety at the borders uh, of his country, the Kurdish people. Uh, the Kurdish people don't have their own land, but what we do know is that when Turkey looks at the Kurdish people, more often than not, what they, they don't see the Christians, they don't see the Yazidis, they don't see uh, the vast majority uh, of Kurdish people that are just good people, but rather they see a very small contingent group known as the PKK, which is the Kurdish Workers' Party, which is a, a, a very troublesome, uh, I believe it's been listed as a terrorist organization that has uh, continued to be a thorn in the side of Turkey during this time. But what we see is this small contention of people uh, has defined the entire group, and in turn, the U.S. has pulled out. And when the U.S. pulled out, it's just created mayhem in the area. And we've gone back on our word, uh, essentially, uh, which is a repeat of what happened in the early 90s. It's just absolutely, it's complex, it's tragic. And uh, as you said, it will continue to be in the headlines uh, for the next uh, uh, little stretch. Well, or a long stretch. I mean, like, I, yeah. I don't I don't think that, um, you know, the Syrian civil war has been going on for seven years. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think that this is uh, this is likely a region of the world um, that is uh, that is likely to live peaceably um, yeah. or at peace with their neighbors. And so that's part of this conversation. And I recognize that. And that is something that, uh, you know, the president has pointed to. And when he talks about endless wars, he's not talking about um, our engagement. He is talking about the kinds of endless wars that are happening between people groups around the world. And so this is a little bit like the conversation that we have um, about people who live in the in the nation state of Israel and then people who live in the non-nation um, of uh, of Palestine, or recognize themselves as Palestinian and lay and you know and lay a particular claim to the same land, and so we have we have that kind of uh, at least a similar situation where you have a distinctive minority population who were never granted a country. So that would be the Kurds, and yeah. they're they're the most diverse group of people. Um, oh, yeah. You know, just in in terms of thinking about. Uh, how people live peaceably with one another across different um, uh, religious lines. The Kurds are, are sort of the best at it in that whole part of the world, um, and they're about to be wiped out. Yeah, to, to I, again, any almost any 
explanation that we're going to give is going to leave out a part. So let's just think about it from the American perspective. There is the contingent that says that should we should go. We should not have we should not be engaged in endless wars. And this is going to be the contingent that President Trump most epitomizes, uh, very much wanting to pull forces back. This idea to a certain degree of American isolationism uh, during the height of the Vietnam War, we had 36 percent of our active military force that was overseas. Traditionally, we've had around 15 percent of our military force that's been deployed overseas. That number right now is at 15% right now. And so we're, we're going back to even lower numbers than what has traditionally been the number that we keep overseas. So there's a group contingent represented by President Trump that wants us to pull back. There's a other group that that I would say I, I'm, I'm a part of that would say that we need to keep a small force over there to maintain our presence and to honor our word. Because at the end of the day, if we pull our forces out, like what we've seen, mayhem ensues. And this isn't us. Uh, this isn't us just trying to continue to police the entire world, but just to recognize that if we don't keep a small presence there, we'll have to go back there with a bigger presence because this uh, contingency known as ISIS continues to wreak havoc in the area. 12,000 ISIS, up to 12,000 ISIS fighters are imprisoned there right now. And we just heard over, again, this is all just happening uh, very quickly. Overnight, over 700 uh, ISIS, uh, uh, either supporters or ISIS individuals that had been imprisoned have now uh, been set free. Uh, this is a group that will continue to reign and wreak havoc because at the very core of who they are is an ideology bent on destroying the West. So, yeah, we can pull back. But at the end of the day, if if history is any indication, we'll have to go back in and have a much larger force, which no one boys this idea of having an isolationist tendency. Well, that's exactly right. All right. So let's do um, let's do one good news story, because one of the other things that you that I love that you do at the briefing dot net is you bring us cultural news that's worth talking about. And so um, tell us what happened to the uh, two hour marathon barrier. Yeah. So this guy is like 5G Internet. And I think the rest of us are dial up. Uh, he is absolutely, uh, he is, uh, Yulid Kipichoji, uh, he's a Kenyan, ran a marathon in one hour, 59 minutes and 40 seconds. So for your listeners Inconceivable! Out there, listeners out there, that's four, thir- four minutes, 33 seconds per mile. If you're running on a treadmill, you're running at the 13.1 speed for a little under two hours. I, I would be minced meat absolutely destroyed on the back wall if I ever even tried to get it up to that speed on a treadmill. This guy is just absolutely wicked fast. It's unreal. Um, I think we should note that the uh, the women's um, marathon uh, barrier was also broken. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's really cool uh, this weekend as well. All right. So we're going to leave it right there. Although if you go to the briefing.net today, you're going to learn why you need a dog. <laughs> How's that? How's that for a second? I love it. I love it. All right. Hey, Nick, well, uh, we look forward to talking with you next time. Thanks so much. So good to be with you. We got to take a quick break. Okay, so we're going to um we're going to stay with some international headlines in the next segment here today. Um and we're going to see how many areas uh, hot spots in the world um, that we can cover with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. So I want to talk about uh, the typhoon that hit Japan. Uh, we want to continue the conversation about what's going on in northeastern Syria, but we also want to touch on Iraq, China, Boko Haram, um, and what's going on there, and also what's happening in Haiti. So stick with us. We're going to make a fast sweep around the globe 
uh, from a Christian worldview. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Ever heard the saying, less is more? It's become so common, it's practically a cliche, but it really does apply to so many things in life. Hi, I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. It's certainly true for my calendar. The fewer social events, the more time I can spend with my family. The less stuff I have in my house, the more space I have for things I really use and treasure. You know, this applies to finances too. You're probably tempted, at least on a daily basis, to spend money on things you don't need. It's just human nature. But the more you spend, the less you have to use for things that really matter, like helping others, preparing for the unexpected, and planning for the future. And those things are directly linked to what God wants you to do with your life. So just try it. Take a less is more approach to spending. You'll start to notice you're becoming more content and confident, and you're living more generously, too. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News is back with us today. Ruth, welcome back. Thank you very much. We have a lot of uh, global terrain to cover today. So I want to start with Syria, and we've already touched on uh, earlier in the hour, you know, kind of an update of what's happening there. Um, but your perspective on that uh, in, in terms of what's happening on the ground related to creating a new wave of refugees. Let's talk about that. Well, our partners in Horizons International are very concerned about the situation because they have ministry to the Kurds. And as they're hearing from the ground what is going on, the chaos that it's creating and the security issues that it's creating, um, they're sharing with us that what they're seeing is a whole nother wave of people that are going to be fleeing the violence. Um, they were already uh, kind of at the point where they were trying to figure out how to wind the programs down, especially since Lebanon was really strongly encouraging the refugees to go back home to Syria. And so the resources uh, that were going into the programs to assist the refugees were also starting to wind down. And now you've got what's expected to be tens of thousands of people coming over the borders um, just to get away from the situations that, that we're seeing in uh, between Turkey and Syria. Um, that means that right now Horizons Internationals and similar ministries are going to be working with maybe half uh, rations, half resources to try to meet all of these extra needs. Um, in addition, you've got uh, a, another aspect of people that are coming through, um, ISIS fighters and their families from this region. And so there's some security concerns because they're entering into what's already an established community and bringing ideologies and things that people are not, um, haven't had to deal with for a while with them. So, um, you know, ministries like Horizons International are really just asking us to be praying, to be watching the situation, and to be ready to basically respond not only through the spiritual uh, channels, but also with the physical channels, because it's going to be another ask for assistance in a situation where people have experienced extreme compassion fatigue. You know, the it sounds like Turkey intends to forcibly deport uh, maybe a million and a half existing Syrian refugees who have been in Turkey. But these are not people who are from the part of Syria where Turkey plans to, um, you know, force them to return. And so uh, we're, the waves of chaos uh, are are maybe even yet just beginning. So thank you for keeping us abreast of what's happening there through your partner um, on the ground. Let's pivot just just across the border into Iraq. 
um, bring us up to date on what your partners are telling you there. Well, I think what is surprising is that the protests in Iraq are not getting a lot of coverage. We don't see a lot about what's happening, haven't been seeing a lot of what's happening uh, in that area. There has been weeks of major protests, like Arab Spring-type protests that have been going on, and the government uh, responded um, rather – they came down like a ton of bricks. And so there have been deaths reported with these things, which has increased the issues uh, by the protesters. Protesters are uh, complaining about corruption. Um, They're tired of being at war all the time, and that's leading to more civil strife. So you've had protests in Baghdad that have just basically shut down Baghdad, especially in the central areas. Um, and, And really, one of our partners actually flew into Baghdad during the height of these protests to do a prayer walk. Because she says it's it's really clear that while Iraq has had to deal with things like ISIS and other things like that, and you could see that as spiritual warfare, this is also something that's threatening to destabilize an entire region. Um, so Cry Out is a ministry through um, Nearest Initiatives that is encouraging and mobilizing believers to respond to some of the needs that are going on in that area. And Cry Out, uh, like I said, sent some folks in to do a prayer walk in and around Iraq uh, during this period. Um, and so they are just kind of keeping us up to date on what's happening there. And they're just asking you to join them in praying wisdom for the leadership, in praying that uh, calm will be restored in some of these areas so that folks can settle in on what the actual problems are, that um, believers will be part of the the discussion, that they will be uh, not only invited to the discussion, but that they will be part of the the calming solutions on the ground. So, Ruth, I was reading uh, I was reading this morning um, that Chinese President Xi um, is announcing via state run media that the protesters in Hong Kong and anyone else who might imagine um, that they want to rise up in opposition to what I would describe as the totalizing communist system. Uh, Here's the quote from President Xi, quote, anyone attempting to split China in any part of the country will end in crushed bones and shattered bodies. Um, now, we have been talking for weeks about the protests in Hong Kong, um, and and I think that – and we talk uh, and we talk frequently about the Uyghur population, uh, and we and we talk about uh, – and actually Google Uyghurs was uh, was uh, quite a quite a thing, quite a hashtag uh, over the weekend. Um, I don't want us to take our eye off of what is happening to our Christian brothers and sisters in China because what what the Chinese government is doing is not just suppressing – you know, democratic uh, democratic hopes in Hong Kong or the Muslim Uyghurs in uh, in far western China. They're also suppressing Christianity really actively. So, can you remind us maybe of this story that we might have skipped over um, about uh, the Chinese suppression of the church related to the Christian education of children? Well, that's been a situation that's kind of been ramping up over the last couple of years. Um, And at the beginning of this year, you had some new uh, regulations that were starting to be enforced, which really uh, clamped down on what churches could do with Sunday school and backyard Bible classes and Christian, uh, the child evangelism fellowship and that kind of thing. Um, Because... Basically, they were saying you have to have the written uh, uh, permission of a parent to allow the child to do that. And then they changed that and basically said, no, you can't do that anymore. Um, Because what they're trying to do is start from a ground zero with a generation who's never been introduced to another ideology so that the only thing that is there is communism. 
Um, and they're trying to start young enough so that you have a whole generation basically where you were when China opened its doors. And then, then you're talking maybe 20 years uh, back step there. Um, so a lot of ministries have been experiencing the pressure, the changing uh, the changing scope of what China is allowing. Uh, and, the, and the finance laws have changed enough that it's making things very, very difficult for a lot of ministries who have um, maybe not invested in quite as much of the indigenous church being the indigenous church and is still having a lot of partnership um, from the West. And that has made it very hard for them to get money in to continue to fund things. Um, it's made it so that uh, any partners that are coming in or inviting someone who doesn't look Chinese enough uh, has also put churches under scrutiny as well. So there are a number of ministries that are taking a step back from some of those things and no longer going into China and finding other ways to try to continue to resource the body of Christ because in spite of everything we're talking about, the body of Christ is still growing rapidly. It is one of the faster growing churches, bodies of Christ uh, in the world. And so there's much to be taken in encouragement and also remembering that there's still a generation on the ground that remembers what this was like in communism. So they've done it before and they're teaching the new church leaders how to do it. You know, this is a good place for us to pause, Ruth, and um, and remind people of the risk that we put people in when we think that we have to go instead of equipping the Christians who are already there to go to, you know, to to invite their neighbors into their own homes. Um, uh, and so can you can you just touch on that? What what do you hear from people around the world when particularly Westerners think that we are the ones who have to physically go like we have to be the ones that carry the gospel instead of understanding that that puts Christians in these places at extreme risk. I'm going to use a story that I, I uh, it has impacted me for decades. Um, I met with an African bishop at one point who was part of a persecuted church, and he had come out of a situation where there was some very strong discussion and opinion about how he ran church, um, church as a denomination, church as an on-the-ground kind of movement. And it it got very contentious. And so he shared this story, and, and the way he ended the story and this whole discussion with the partner from the denomination was he said, brother, we so appreciate that you brought us the bread of life because we were starving to death and we just didn't know what we didn't know. But now we're choking to death on the wrapper. Mm. Mm. All right. So, Ruth, ordinarily you and I uh, take a break in the middle of our conversation, but we actually already ran our break before um, before you and I started to talk. So I think we have time um, to visit what's happening in a couple of other hot spots around the world. Uh, again, when we when we have to, I mean, ne- of necessity, have to pay attention to what is happening in places like northeastern Syria, we we take our eye off of what's happening in other places. So remind us, um, remind us who Boko Haram is, where they are operating, and why we need to be concerned about uh, this as Christians uh, as well. Okay, um, I'm I'm gonna I'll, I'll address this. I would also like to just bring up just to put it in front of people to be praying for the body of Christ in Japan. So if we can talk Japan at mm. some point. Oh, you know yeah. what? Let's do that. Let's do that. Um, so yes, for those who are not aware, there was a massive typhoon. Um, I mean, really, like the largest storm in decades uh, to hit Japan. People have died. People are missing. There are 110,000 Japanese now deployed in an active rescue effort. What are you hearing 
um, from your partners on the ground in Japan. Thank you for reminding me of that, Ruth. Um, you know, it's my pleasure um, because we do have partners in Japan who have been expressing a lot of concern over the weekend as they've been watching what's uh, in the aftermath of this storm. By the way, it's Typhoon Hagabus, and that means speed in Tagalog um, because of what this storm did and how fast it ripped through and where it hit. So you're talking a storm that dumped enough rain to flood like um, – 20 rivers throughout central and northeastern Japan. And this is also an area in the prefectures that uh, experienced the worst of the damage in the triple disaster. So it's Nagano, it's Miyagi, it's Fukushima. And you've had dams broken and the rivers are flooding the banks. So you have houses that are um, up to 10 feet underwater. You have a lot of damage from um, areas that were trying to um, recover from the tsunami, from the nuclear damage, from the earthquake. And I should also mention that I think somewhere in early Sunday morning, they had a 5.7 earthquake hit uh, somewhere in in Fukushima, I think. Um, So you had a lot of the same kinds of elements in place that took people back, the survivors back to what happened during the triple disaster. And there was a lot of um, emotional distress and and like post-traumatic stuff because it felt like similar conditions to what happened, you know, back then when everything. Was that whole- like 2011, 2020? Yeah. Am I right? Like that? Wow. Okay. So when you consider what the damage was, like when I went, went into some of these areas uh, in the wake of the uh, the tsunami and you would still see it was, you know, lush and green and beautiful and there were some buildings. And then people said this was wiped completely clean. This was a very busy fishing village. And now there's maybe a tenth of the people who stayed here. Um, so this, this tenth of the people who have stayed there are still there. And now they're dealing with yet another natural disaster and having to start over again. A lot of them aren't going to leave where they are. In fact, when the government was trying to get everybody to evacuate because of the risk of the flooding, a lot of people just stayed put. And so they've lost homes. You've had a lot of other kinds of issues. And our partner is Asian Access. Um, what they've been hearing from the church partners is the churches themselves, the buildings themselves weathered most of these uh, flooding issues pretty well. But their partners on the ground, their disciples, their mentors, the church planners, some of the other leadership um, are dealing with some pretty big issues of having not no electricity, no clean water, trying to figure out how to get food into some of these, these folks who um, have been kind of isolated because the roads are washed out. Uh, they're all dealing with flood mess. And if you've ever had a flood in mm. your house, you that's like. So it's that plus dealing with all of the memories of what happened in 2011. So pray for the church partners, pray for the the, the church as a whole, the body of Christ to shine brightly in this situation because they're the ones that are coming alongside and bringing hope. Yeah. When you say that, that, you know, that, that flashback trauma, that, that is real. And, um, and so let's just be really mindful of, of the tenderness right now, um, to those who are whose lives have been racked yet again um, by a tremendous natural disaster, and let's uh, let's certainly be be praying for people in Japan, and particularly let us be praying for um, Asian Access and the ministries that are on the ground, um, and those working to uh, to well find survivors as well. Okay, now let's pivot to Boko Haram. Again, we're going to go halfway around the world from where we have been in uh in China and Japan and we're going to go to Africa. Tell us where we are when we're talking about Boko Haram and remind us uh who that is and what they're up to. All right, we're talking about Nigeria. 
Um, and I want to put this out there because I know that our article didn't really dig, dig into this uh, deeply, but keeping in mind Boko Haram is uh, an insurgency that really wants to eradicate anything, any influence that is what they consider to be Western. Uh, Western education is sin is what that roughly translates into, and I think in Hausa. Um, and so they've been huge troublemakers from the beginning. At some point, and we think it was roughly 2009, a bunch of Boko Haram fighters went off to an ISIS camp and got trained. And when they came back, they came back organized and funded. And that's when you started seeing some really big things start to happen with strategies that nobody had ever seen Boko Haram do before. It was they were kind of like a ragtag bunch of people. And now they're a militia. And so we've seen a lot of their footprint all over the country, especially up in the in the northern area of uh, Nigeria. And so when you see things like raids coming through where they're kidnapping uh, schoolgirls, Chibok comes to mind where because they keep hitting Chibok over and over and over. It wasn't just that one time where they took 200 girls. They come through and they take hundreds of people at a time with the most recent one just a couple of months ago, actually. Um, and so. You know, you've got this this insurgent group that is mobile, they're funded, and they've got this really dangerous ideology that is attractive to those who also follow the ideology that ISIS is claiming, which is that they want to reestablish the caliphate and destroy the world. And that's really attractive to Boko Haram because their, their ideologies are similar. And a few years ago, parts of ISIS actually tossed their hat in with the Islamic State and became the Islamic State West Africa province, ISWAP. And now, I mean, it's just like a, I don't even know how to, how to describe what kind of a threat they are. But if you take an extremist and then you add a booster of funding and basically um, no legal re repercussions because they can't, they're not caught. Um, you can imagine what kind of damage they're causing in Nigeria and what kind of, uh, I don't want to say fear. Fear is probably not the right word, but caution, certainly, uh, among the body of Christ, when they gather on Sunday mornings, uh, the security issues that they have, just going to church and how difficult it is for the leadership to make decisions on how do we do church when we have an enemy like this that it could be us this Sunday? For a while there in 2011, 12, 13, or 14, we were seeing attacks every Sunday on a church throughout throughout the area where Boko Haram has sway. So that's settled down a little bit, and they're, they're targeting other things now. But that's not to say that they've taken their eyes completely off of the Christians. Um, they do make their statements with that. They do use the social media tactics that ISIS uses uh, to make a statement. And that's what they're still doing um, because Christians are the soft target and because they regard Christianity as a Western religion. And so that's the easy thing to do. And right now, Christians are right in the middle of two organizations that are trying to erase their presence from Nigeria. One is the Fulani herdsmen and one is the Boko Haram and ISWAP. Um, and so they're right in the middle of all of these and they're getting attacked all the time. So pray for the body of Christ in Nigeria, please. That is the first thing they ask us. When we say, what can we do for you? They say, pray for us that we don't lose hope, that we don't lose heart, that Jesus makes himself real and that we shine for the gospel in spite of the circumstances. So I'm reading um, a report by the AP um, published just a couple of days ago that there are thousands, maybe 10,000, 10,000 sanctioned 
Nigerian hunters armed with charmed amulets and intimate knowledge of the harsh terrain preparing an offensive against Boko Haram. Apparently, this was something that the government um, stopped five years ago, calling it a suicide mission. This time it has the backing of the governor of the Borno state. Um, And so 10,000 hunters, and I wonder exactly who these people might be, um, are going uh, now on a crusade to hunt down Boko Haram. Anybody who is caught in the uh, in the crossfire of that is just is just desperately in need of our prayers. Um, Ruth Kramer, thank you so much. Friends, you can find all of this at mnnonline.org. And we're going to encourage you to um, remember Christians in Haiti as well and read the news reports out of Haiti posted at mnnonline.org. Ruth, we look forward to our next conversation. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. All right, circling back around to where we started out, and that is a reminder of what we're doing. And so let us remember that we are um, the people of the good news, bringing the mind of Christ to bear on all the news of the day. And so as we scan what is happening around the world, and as we consider deeply what's happening uh, in our own families, in our own places of work, in our own communities, we recognize that it's our responsibility um, to be people of the redemptive worldview, of the redemptive narrative, to recognize that um, we live in a gospel universe, uh, that because God is and God has spoken and God has come uh, and God has done all that is necessary for our salvation, that there is good news to be declared even in the midst of all of the bad news. And you and I bring that reality to bear on every single conversation today. So, You're right. This is not the way that it's supposed to be, but this is also not the way that it's always going to be. Um, And and the gospel really does change how we see and how we interact with the news of the day. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. We've got a whole uh, a whole nother hour up next. So as we're uh, as we're considering entering into the conversations of the day, that Proverbs eighteen two verse is it should just be top of mind. Let that be top of mind. It occurs to me that there are lots of times that we enter into the conversations of the day with our opinions and not uh, as people who are bringing either the mind of Christ nor the Word of God to bear on the conversations of the day. And that's a criticism of myself. That's uh, that's just an acknowledgement that there are times that I give people a piece of my mind when what people really need is a p- is the peace, the peace, P-E-A-C-E, the, the peace of the mind of Christ. And so just think about that for just a moment. When you enter into the conversations of the day, um, are you quick to listen and slow to speak or are you quick to speak and slow to listen? Are we seeking first to understand or are we seeking first to be heard? Um, so, you know, uh, I remember like Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I went to business school, so that was actually one of the things we read. And habit five is seek first to be understood uh, or seek, excuse me, seek first to understand and then only to be understood. And it's drawn just directly from the scriptures, right? It's just drawn directly from uh, this this reality, this idea that we are supposed to be people who are slow to speak and quick to listen. And so just let's maybe settle on that for, uh, for a moment today and recognize that we don't have all of the information 
We don't know what the position of the other person is in terms of their social location or the ideas and thoughts and fears that they're bringing to the conversation. We don't really know what's going on in their life unless we ask, unless we ask. And so if we want to have uh, families and a culture that are characterized more by harmony than they are by conflict, we're going to have to be the people who lead into that. We're going to have to be the people who sow peace. We're going to have to be the people who seek first to understand and only then to be uh, secondarily to be understood. So that's what we're doing here. We're seeking to develop the mind of Christ on the matters of the day in order that we can be equipped to walk those ideas out into the world that God so loves in ways that are consistent with the gospel. So we'll be right back at it here in just a moment. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.